So it's good to see all of you. Good to see you. I hope you're doing well. hope you're doing great. The Lord's with you. So we're finishing our series today on who are you as we've talked about the attributes of, of, of what it is to be a follower of Christ and what he calls us to, what he does in us. Uh, we've talked about your chosen, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. We talked about that. We talked about your blessed, that how your, and we didn't even talk about financial blessing. You know, a lot of times we, we say you're blessed, we say, oh, we're talking about money? No, we were just talking about the great spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Uh, you're saved. We, we talked about what it means to be saved, and, and because sometimes we get lost in terminology. We've, we've heard terminology a lot of different times, and we get lost in it. Uh, you're God's family. You know? I mean, think about that. The God of the universe claims you, you know, as, as, as his own. Not like when, you know, I was on a ski lift one day, and it was one of those four-person lifts, and we went out, I think it was four-person, we went out, four of us together, and then they said, no, 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 no. And so I tried to stop, and it was too late. The lift already came around and just knocked me out of my skis. I'm laying there on the ground, and Tina says, sir, are you all right? <laughs> See, God will never do that to you. But Tina will. <laughs> so your family, you're a royal priesthood. God has called, we're going to, we're representing Christ to the world and we represent the world to Christ. That's the role of our priesthood. We are priests to God. You're, we're the body of Christ. And the crazy thing about the body, we're all different parts of the body and God's called us all together to to be together, to live together, to be in unity together, and uh, he's working on us. And then we're strangers and aliens. Some of you are stranger than others, but we are strangers and aliens. Last week we talked about you're than more than conquerors, and today we're going to finish it up with you are the bride of Christ. And that may seem weird to you, think I'm a man and I'm the bride of Christ. Yes, you absolutely are. We are the bride of Christ. And what does that mean? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. This is a, a fun some fun verses in the Bible. Uh, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. All the men said. You shouldn't have said that because it's talking to wives. It doesn't say husbands. It said wives. So all the men will be minding your own business. <laughs> That's right. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And it is important to notice that, that when it's talking about this, you think, ooh, man, what is he gonna, where is he going to go with this? Uh, the biblical view of submission is never about dominance or control. It is always about responsibility. So, so if you say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Anybody here say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. So it says, see, so we submit, wives submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. Jesus, is Jesus the Lord of your life? All right. How many of you, he grabbed you out of bed this morning and made you come to church? Some of you started to raise your hands and then you thought about it. <laughs> I'm not sure what the right answer is. <laughs> but he doesn't make us do anything. 
He leads us. He directs us. He guides us. He empowers us. He enables us. He doesn't make us do anything. And this, in the same way, it's not, it's, it's, he's not controlling us. He's not dominating. I have willingly surrendered my life to Christ. And that's, that's all this is talking about. It's how, how does a marriage work best? When a woman recognizes the role of her husband in being responsible as the head of the house. And, and I don't know about you, but a good head is going to get all the help he can get. That's why God made Eve for Adam. She said, he said, you know, this place is going to end up looking like a locker room. This guy needs some help. <laughs> everything already, you know, I can imagine God said, everything already smells sweaty. What's going on here? Uh, <laughs> and he made her a helpmate. Okay. So where are we? Verse, husband, love your wife, Jesus Christ, love the church, and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word, with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Why? Because you're one flesh, right? For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So he says, this is all about a mystery, a mystery. And in the Bible, the word mystery does not mean something perplexing or unintelligible or hard to understand. A mystery in the Bible is something that has been concealed, unknown, that is now revealed. It's something that wasn't understood, but now it's understood. So what's the mystery here? The mystery here Paul says in Ephesians 5.30, he says, the mystery is profound. And he tells us, I am saying this in reference to Christ and the church. He said, the mystery is Christ and the church. And then he, he uses this Genesis verse. What's the mystery? The meaning of human marriage is based on another marriage designed in heaven before creation. Namely, the marriage between the Son of God and His people, the church. On that design and model, the human marriage was built to image. So the mystery is that God, God's plan before creation was that His bride, the church, His marriage to His bride, the church, is, is the true marriage, and then Marriage as we experience is the model, the mystery that is revealed to reveal the true marriage. That's why we don't get to redefine marriage to our own design. Marriage is not a man-made idea. It's not, it's not something that evolved. It's God's design. Paul is quoting Genesis Chapter 2, verse 24, where it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
Then Jesus, they asked Jesus about marriage, and Jesus quoted Genesis, Matthew 19, 4. And he said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So how many sexes are there? It's just two. And said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. And then Jesus added this. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Because just as your relationship with God is permanent, the picture of you being the bride, you are the bride with Christ, and that relationship is permanent. God's not going to get tired of you and trade you in for 220s. Because you're not wired for 220, you know, all that old joke, right? He's not going to replace you. Why? Because he has betrothed. He has married you. He has chosen you. You are, you are one flesh. You are in God's family, irrevocably in God's family. So, so, so Paul says in, in, in Ephesians, he's telling us how Jesus is redeeming and beautifying his bride, and he does it by loving us. I'm going to read it again, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So we see, first of all, that Christ loved the church. How did, how did God begin this process of redeeming his bride? How did God make us the bride? He made us the bride by loving us. He didn't choose, he, Christ didn't choose his bride, his wife, the way men choose a wife. How do men choose a wife? Well, you choose a wife based on attractiveness. No, no man ever says, I'm going to go pick me an ugly one right? I mean, even if you as a man yourself are ugly, you don't think I'm going to marry an ugly woman. You think I'm going to marry a good looking woman. Most of you guys have really done well. You've married above your station. I certainly did. I mean, it's like, you know, Amen. so how do, thank you. Thank you. You know, you can go back home sick if you're not careful. I'm good. He, you know, he survives COVID and he gets a little salty here. He's not, <laughs> so, so a man's going to pick a wife maybe on attractiveness or intelligence or <laughs> personality. You know that was always the, that was always the that was always the uh, the quality. You know, is she pretty? Well, she's got a great personality. Well, you know, sometimes it's better. He chose an unlikely bride. He loved us. He loved us while we were still enemies, when we were unattracted. Romans 5.10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. While we were rejecting him, because he was an enemy, we were repulsed by him. We were hating him. And we're running from him with every fiber of our being, trying to get away from his love. He loved us. 
He loved us when we were enemies, despising him. He loved us when we were, were unattractive, had nothing to offer but a life broken and twisted by sin. Romans 5. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that word sinners means we missed the mark. While we still didn't measure up, where we were still below the standard, not good enough, not pretty enough, not handsome enough, not smart enough, not gifted enough, not talented enough, still bound by sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were unattractive, nothing to offer. I love this, 1 Corinthians. Paul, Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and he wants you to understand God's choosing of you you got to get this. God's choosing of you has nothing to do with you. It's Him. It's Him. It's all. It, it's Him. And if He did choose you, He He tends to choose the weaker, not the stronger. <laughs> I mean, He chooses Jacob over Esau. Esau is the good guy. He's an okay guy. Jacob's the swindler. God chooses him because he's, he needs it. And he, how does he choose? 1 Corinthians 1.26. Paul's talking to the Corinthians. This is humbling. For consider your calling, brethren. Consider how God called you into his family. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many, not, not many mighty, not many noble. He's saying, listen, not many of you, are, you're not very bright. You're not that strong, and you don't come from very good heritage. You're not noble. You're not nobility. No, nobody knows who you are. You're just a nobody. You're not noble. You're not known. But God's chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen and the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. How did God choose us? He didn't choose us based on us. He chose us based on him so that we wouldn't boast and say, look what I did. It's always, look what God did. So he loved us. That love motivated him to do something. Husbands love your wife as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. It is sacrificial love. It is giving love. It is never, you know, it's never, as a teenage boy might express to a young girl, girlfriend, if you love me, you're going to give it up. No. If you love me, you're not going to ask me to give it up. Because it's sacrificial love. Well, I want you to sacrifice. Well, you know what? If we love each other, we're going to both sacrifice. Romans 5.89, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. This is, this is the essence of God's love. It's sacrificial, 
and it's action. <laughs> it's doing. He did something about his love. He, he loved us in such a way that there's action that follows it. You know, we talk about love. You know, the way our culture talks about love, what is love? It's a feeling that you never felt before. I'm in love. What's it mean? Basically, it means I'm in heat for most people. Did he, say, did he, did he just say that? <laughs> what is wrong with him? But what does it mean? It means, it means I'm going to lay my life down. That's what he's describing. He's saying, husbands, lay your life down in the same way that Christ laid his life down for you. With sacrificial giving, dying to self-love. So that love, what does it do? Then that love saves us, rescues us, redeems us, justifies us, and it glorifies us. So Jesus loving us has an eternal effect on us. We are being conformed to the image of his son. It cleanses us. It beautifies us. Ephesians 5, 26. So, so he loves us and gave himself for us so that he might sanctify her. He's talking about the church. He's talking about you as the church, that he might sanctify her to make her holy, separate, set apart, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. How does God cleanse us? With his word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or any or wrinkle, or any such thing, but she would be holy and blameless. I mean, we, you know, we look at the church, I mean, you look at the church, you look at the church, and we look at the, we look at churches, and we look at the church around, and there's always a lot to complain about in the church. Right? I mean, the church has messed up a lot of different times. We've, we've done, we've, We've been on the wrong side of a lot of different issues. It's tough. It's, it's, a, it's difficult often to, to weave and be on the right side at the right time. And often we have not been on the right side at the right time of the right issues. And we've messed up. The church has made a lot of mistakes. The church, the church as an organization has done, as individuals, there have been a lot of pastors that have fallen morally and hurt a lot of people. There's been a lot of church leaders that have done stupid things. I mean, it, the, the church, the problem with the church is it's made out of people. <laughs> and one of those people agrees with me. So he chose us. He chose us not because we would become holy. He chose us because he planned to make us holy. In other words, he, he didn't look and say, oh, that's going to be a good one. He looked and said, I'm going to make that one a good one. Because that one is going to be mine. And that one's going to be redeemed and saved and justified, graced, forgiven. It's going to be beautified by the word of God. Amen. So it's not, it's not based on passion or attractiveness or desirability. It's based on his choice of you. God chose you, which was, takes us back to where we were in the very 
beginning. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. And this choice of you, this him loving you, changes us at the very core of our being. It makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus because we're loved and accepted and forgiven. And you think, well, but I've messed up. You know what? Here's the good thing. It's not about you. It's about him. What's he doing? He is making something beautiful out of your life. That's, that's the plan. Revelation 19.7, it gives us a picture of the bride. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. You remember what he said? It's going to be without spot and wrinkle. You think, well, gosh, I don't think I'm there yet. Are you without spot and wrinkle? You a little wrinkly? A little spotty? <laughs> It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. All of redemptive history, all of God's plan for thousands of years has been aiming at this one thing. What was God's plan from the beginning? Before God said, let there be light, why was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world? Because God knew that the minute he created man, that to redeem him, he would have to create, that Jesus would have to not create, Jesus would have to be the redeemer. So before God said, let there be light, he said, son, will you go? And Jesus said, yes, I will go and die for my bride. Because from the beginning, the plan was to redeem you and make you the bride of Christ. The final union. What's God's plan? It's the final union of the Son of God and the people of God in relational glory, in, 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 <laughs> in oneness, one fleshness in some way that is supersedes the one flesh of marriage because marriage is just a picture of it that an, an eternal relationship with God the Father and the Son and the bride eternally in glory. So, two points to close with this. God has a glorious plan for your life. We sang today, if it's not good, it's not over. Did you get that? If it's not good, it's not over. Because a lot of things that happen in this life are not good. But all of that's going to be redeemed. Because if it's not good, it's not over. See, God's got a glorious plan for your life. That glorious plan is that you are eternally, relationally connected to be the bride of Christ. It's going to happen because of what Jesus said, because he purchased you 
with his own blood. It's going to happen. So he's got a glorious plan for your life. You think, well, you know, <laughs> when's that going to happen? It may not happen until Jesus comes back, but it's going to happen. You may have had a rocky start. You may have had a messy middle. Most of our middles are pretty messy. Mistakes, failures. As I like to say, stupid stuff that we do. You may have had a rocky start, you may have had a messy middle, but you are going to have a glorious finish. Amen. That's God's plan. He's going to finish what he started in you, and the finish will be more glorious, more wonderful than you can imagine. We are the bride of Christ. I've always loved this verse. Philippians uh, says it this way in the message. There's never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Jesus Christ appears. That he is going to finish what he started in you. And if you think, well, I'm a mess, guess what? One way or the other. He's going to finish what he started. If it's when Christ appears, if it's when Christ appears, and we all go to meet him in the air if we're still alive and remain when Jesus Christ returns, or if it's when Christ returns and we come up out of the grave with our new bodies, he's going to finish what he started. You may have a rocky start, you may be in a messy middle, but you're going to have a glorious finish. And you will say, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his sweet face, all sorrows will erase. So swiftly run the race till we see Christ. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Can you just for a moment, just bow your head for just a moment, let's just think about this. Some of you are in you're in the messy middle. You're in some difficulties. When you're in difficulties, you could be like David who would cry out and say, God, where are you? I don't, I don't understand where you are, God. And it's, it's easy to not feel like God's forsaken you, but God hadn't forsaken you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's working for your good. And it may not look like good, but if it's not good, it's not over. God's not done yet. Don't let the, the difficulties of the middle keep you from finishing the race. 
So God wants to give you strength. Some of you are in the middle of a difficult situation. You've had loss. You've had pain. You've had difficulty. God is for you. He's going to finish what he started. So, Father, in Jesus' name, there are some people here today that are struggling. They're in difficulty. They're facing real problems, real problems. Not imaginary problems. They're real problems. They're facing sickness, disease, cancer, death, struggles, problems, marriage problems, life problems, money problems, job problems. are in the middle of it. And God, we know that you're in the middle of the mess with us because you're not done yet. And Lord, we ask you, we need your help. We need you here. You're our very present help in times of trouble. I ask you to be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're going to have some people at the front praying for you if you need prayer. Uh, We'll be here to pray with you. I love you. I love you.